Some of you may know this. Some of you may now suspect it. I love soccer. I am a huge soccer fan. Uh, pretty much any time I'm able to watch a game, I do. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the local team, the New England Revolution. I love uh, PSG and Red Star FC in Paris, Leicester in England, Roma in Italy, Celtic in Scotland, name a country, and I can probably tell you a team I like, follow, or wish I could, but we don't get those channels, so I can't watch them yet, right? And this is much to the chagrin of anybody who lives with me, because if you walk out of the room and leave me the remote, give me 10 seconds and I will find a way to put a soccer game on. <laughs> One of the big things that I love about soccer, though, isn't watching it on TV. It's going to a game. There's something about being at the field, watching the game live. Soccer games aren't like other events. Those of you who have ever been to a professional soccer game know what I'm talking about. A lot of the sport events here in the States will have very basic chants like, let's go Celtics, or defense, and then the camera cuts to the people in the stands with the D and the fence signs, right? But in soccer, we go more complex because we have those chants. But then we also have songs. And I don't mean like one song, I mean a whole couple albums worth of songs. One of my favorite songs is actually sung to the tune of Yellow Submarine by the Beatles. And not only do we have songs where entire sections, if not the entire stadium, is singing during the game, but there's actually one fan who will stand on something called a capo, and they turn their back to the game in order to conduct and orchestrate all of the songs, and the drums, because we bring drums into the stands, and the horns, because we bring horns in. And I've seen a couple bagpipes here or there. It is a wild affair when you go to a soccer game. And that atmosphere is just electric. Between the chants, and the songs, and the rhythm of the drums, and the rhythm of the game, it's hard not to lose yourself. I find I just sort of melt into the crowd. And time starts to feel like it goes by in the blinking of an eye and the whole expanse of a week, but really it's only been about two hours. I can't fully describe it, it's just amazing. Does that dynamic sound familiar to anybody else here? Time passing in the blink of an eye, but feeling like it takes a week? I know that it does to some because I've talked to my wife, Debbie, about this. And she's talked about something similar. Not with soccer, no, De Debbie tolerates soccer because I live with her and it's hard not to. Debbie loves concerts. And, and, and when I say loves concerts, I mean like she saw her favorite band, I think 23 times? She loves them. Typically country, sometimes 90s music, but you know, she'll, she'll go pretty much anywhere that there's a floating ticket somewhere. And I can remember when her and I started dating, oh boy, over 10 years ago now, her and I sat down and had this conversation that's, that was basically, why do you like concerts so much? Because I don't really care for concerts. And then she looks at me and says, well, why do you like soccer games so much? And of course, I told her what I told you. And then she looked at me and told me something that I still have not forgotten to this day. And now this is me remembering 
think 12 years ago, so it's not her exact words. But this is the spirit, I would say, of what I heard her saying about 12, maybe 13 years ago. There's a moment when the person is up on stage and they're singing a song that everyone knows. And the crowd is singing with them. And everybody is standing. And everybody is swaying. Everybody has their phones out, pretending to be lighters, moving back and forth. And then, all of a sudden, the band and the crowd are hard to tell apart. The singer may even lean forward and point the microphone to the crowd, inviting the crowd to sing with the band to itself. At that moment, I lose track of time. I feel like I melt into the crowd and join the band, and we're all just singing one song. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I lift up my soccer experience and Debbie's concert experience because I would look at those and call them spiritual experiences. They are from the mundane world. They are something that can happen anytime. There are concerts always going on. There's a soccer game at least once a week somewhere, right? And yet something magical is possible at those moments. And I would argue that that possibility is spiritual. So there's this super exciting field that's emerging called neurotheology. And I think it can help us understand a little bit as to why those moments come across as spiritual experiences. So neurotheology is this hybrid that's happening between the sciences and theology, and it attempts to hold both of them equally, right? I like to think of it as asking two truths, two questions. The first is, can we find in science things that corroborate things we have already known spiritually for so long? Like we have found already the effects of prayer and meditation on people's minds and bodies and brains. And then the other thing is, what, what theological truths are there hidden in the science that we have already found? Because there are things in the brain that we're discovering that can truly impact how we see the world. Now, an important part of neurotheology is that you don't over-explain anything, right? There's this old saying some of you may be familiar with, correlation is not causation, right? So I want to be very clear that just because we see something on a brain scan doesn't mean that is why it's happening, right? All we can say is when something is going on, we tend to see this. So this is not me trying to rationalize mystery. This is me saying that when someone is experiencing mystery, this is what we find. And so what have researchers found doing this? And the short answer is an absolute ton, right? They have found a lot of stuff. And I want to pull out two things from this ton of material that they found. And the first is the findings around this part of your brain called the default mode network. The default mode network is just like what it sounds like. It's the part of your brain that just runs by default, 
right? Have you ever been doing anything not particularly productive and then all of a sudden your brain has like this pop-up dialogue box like, hey, did you leave the gas on? <laughs> or maybe it's, hey, is Mary mad at me for that thing I said five years ago? Or my favorite is when I'm in a room and I say, oh, I really need that thing on the other side of the house. And as I'm walking, all of a sudden, I get all these pop-up boxes, and by the time I get to the room, I say, why did I come in here? And the default mode network strikes again. So when I was talking about the soccer game, or when I was sharing Debbie's experience about the concert, I want you to notice that at no point did I say, I was at the soccer game and poof, I started thinking about the oven. That didn't happen. There was no inner voice randomly interjecting itself into that moment. There was no inner critic telling me all the things I could have been doing better, should have been doing better, would have been doing better. It was so overwhelmed by everything that was going on, the crowd, the songs, the chants, the drums, the game, it was so overwhelmed that it just went quiet. I got to be there. For those of you who do our Buddhist meditation group here, you may have experienced that coming from the other way. Because it is also true that if you are quiet and you practice this quietness and you practice this stillness, that eventually the default mode network in your brain that sends you these little pop-up thoughts starts to slow down with you slowing down. And as you practice, the default mode network starts to meet your pace. And then eventually it goes quieter and quieter and quieter until it stops. A second finding from neurotheology that I want to share has to do with a part of your brain called the parietal lobe. It's right around here, right top back. Uh, and what it does, well, it does a ton of different things, right? But one of the things it does is it focuses on your spatial awareness, right? So where are you in the world? And I'm not talking about how far am I from these candles or how far am I from Bo, right? What I'm talking about is that moment when you're going through that really busy subway station and for just some unexplained reason, you intuitively know how to speed up or slow down as people whiz by you, speeding up or slowing down to let people whiz by them. And in this incredible cacophony of people moving, how often do you see people collide into each other? Not very often. That is the magical mystery of the parietal lobe's spatial awareness. It just knows where you are. So what has neurotheology found about this part of your brain? Well, it's found that when you have these deep and incredible spiritual experiences, that that part of your mind also turns off. The part of your brain that's thinking about where am I in the world and who's next to me in the world and what's next to me in the world just stops giving you information. And if you think about it, that makes sense. Because in those moments where I'm at the soccer game or Deb's at her concert, there's this feeling of melting into everyone else. There's this feeling of oneness that you may also feel when you're meditating or when you're here at church or when you're in nature. You may feel that same thing happening. 
when your parietal lobe goes quiet. And you feel this interconnectedness that's deep in your bones and that you have no words for. The time when the you becomes the us and the being in the world becomes the being in the world. So listen to our reading again with all of this in your mind. I don't want to speak for Pele, but what he's saying sounds pretty darn close to what I think of as a spiritual experience. So Pele writes, We started off again, and suddenly I felt this strange calmness I hadn't experienced in any other game. It was a type of euphoria. I felt I could run all day without tiring. I could dribble through any of their team or all of them. I could almost pass through them physically. I felt I could not be hurt. It was a strange feeling, one I had never felt before. Perhaps it was merely confidence, but I felt confident many times without that strange feeling of invincibility. Pele isn't describing an inner voice. There's no pop-up boxes in his mind asking him what's for dinner. There's this interconnectedness with his team, with the ball, with the game, with the momentum, with the flow. He's just there. While I don't know if any of you ever played in a World Cup final against Sweden, and if you have, please talk to me after church, right? <laughs> While none of you have done that, I do think some of you may have had something similar to what Pele is describing. I bet if you look back, you may even think of moments that you missed, saying, ah, I bet that was one. I'm sure that there are those of you who like to garden who have these experiences. When you're kneeling in the dirt, feeling the dirt in your hands, the rhythm of trimming and weeding, and then all of a sudden you realize that you've been in this garden for two hours, you didn't expect it, you forgot to put sunblock on, and now you're rocking this beautiful red sunburn? Oh yeah. Maybe it was in golf where you get up on the first tee, you put your head down, you take that first drive, you pick your head up, and all of a sudden you're already on the eighth hole? Maybe it's making fleece hats. Maybe it's the Christmas nativity every year. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's writing in your journal. There are so many places where these moments could be happening. Did you notice? So my challenge to you today is to find these moments throughout your days and to be purposeful about it. Say to yourself that this isn't just me gardening. This isn't just me sewing. Just me washing the dishes. This is me inviting myself into this moment. This is what the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh is talking about in the quote that I put at the top of the order of service. When he said that there are two ways to wash the dishes. There's one to make them clean, and there's another to wash the dishes. So when you're entering into these tasks, let yourself drop into them. Let those parts of your brain grow quiet. The voice that keeps telling you about everything left in your day let that voice be still. Return to the dishes. 
and find that calm euphoria. That same calm euphoria that had Pele running all over the field can have you chasing toddlers, trimming your garden, or washing your dishes. You can lose yourself even in the smallest of these daily moments. So go to your garden, go to a soccer game, go to a concert, listen to the birds, keep coming to church. Wherever you find the spirit moving, just remember to be present. Even the most mundane of our daily routines are filled with the spirit. You just have to look. Blessed be and amen.